0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Just bring the honesty and the integrity to the game. Your guide on the side. If we're not wholeheartedly in our relationship, then we probably are always looking for exit strategies. This is the Matt Townsend
0: Show. Dr.
2: Matt Townsend. Good morning. I'm Leanna Tan. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. It's Wednesday morning, the middle of the week, and you're probably bogged down with a million things. So I found two segments that I think will liven up your day and give it a great start. Both of these segments help us understand the people in our lives. And who better to start with than ourselves? I found this really captivating interview with Van Moody about what he calls the I-factor. He talks about how to build healthy relationships with ourselves and how to live from the inside out. I really think you guys are going to like this, so let's get started.
1: Talk to us about building a relationship with ourselves. It seems like a lot of people don't, they don't like who they are. They don't like what they don't have. They don't, they're just not happy with themselves.
3: Absolutely. And that's why I'm so excited about The I Factor. And uh, I know that beyond a doubt, this is a message in a book for the world. Because you're right. Um, Often the biggest challenge for individuals um, is not external, but it's internal. And that's what The I Factor is about. And I realized uh, through all of the years of me working with people and working with leaders and even working with businesses that often it is not the external that is the biggest challenge. We've seen the history, uh, the recent history and uh, just days gone by and stories that are uh, just too many to to count of Mm -hmm. people who had great opportunities, people who had great pedigrees and degrees and great – uh, really talent, but they crashed and burned, or they did not really live the life they were called to live because they did not manage themselves well, and that's, that's what the I factor is, and the message is really calling people to get healthy and to live their best life from the inside out, because, Matt, success on any level is an inside
1: job. Oh, yeah, and y- you've you've got so much experience with it. You're a pastor of the Worship Center in Birmingham, Alabama. You're on Joel Osteen's um, Champions Network. You're on Dr. Oz's core team. You've, you've worked with John Maxwell. You're doing it all. You see th- this self-esteem. It's almost this, uh, this just this lack of knowing who we are. In your book, I Factor, what, what is the I Factor? Sure. Um, the I Factor is
3: how people think about themselves, feel about themselves, and even relate to themselves. The I-factor is a combination of dynamics that converge to form the totality of a person's relationship with him or herself. When I talk about the I-factor, a lot of people think, well, is it initially the same thing as self-worth or self-esteem or self-respect? And I I absolutely want people to understand that that it goes beyond that. It goes beyond character and motives, it goes beyond a sense of self-esteem but it has everything to do with the person's relationship with themselves. And it's really about managing yourself and your whole life well from the inside out. And so it is absolutely imperative that we make sure that our I factor is healthy because everything that we do flows out of whether or not we have a healthy or a negative I factor.
1: Where do we we get this I factor? Are some born with it? Are they just naturally self-believing, self-directed? Um, or do they – is it? Is it how we're parented? How, how do we come about this I-factor?
3: Well, everybody has it, but, you know, how your I-factor is set up and how it evolves over time as you grow is really determined by a number of factors. It's the environment you were in. It's the kind of household that you were raised in. It's the experiences that you've had. And all of those things will either color our I-factor for the better or – continuous down a path of having a negative i-factor and so uh, in the book one of the things that i help people to understand is regardless of where you are on your i-factor journey uh, the formula to having a successful and healthy i-factor really revolves around three things your sense of identity uh, your sense of significance and your perspective and so when you know who you are and that's what i mean when i talk about your identity that really fuels everything because your identity is the foundation of everything when you understand your significance then you take the next step when uh... because significance is about getting in touch with your purpose and the greatness for which you were created but then the next big step is your perspective Uh, perspective is about the set of lenses through which you look at life because when you have a healthy perspective you can view the problems you face as stepping stones for greatness instead of stumbling blocks Hmm. and that's significant Matt, because I wish that you know, all of us could wave a magic wand and remove the challenges of life, but you and I both know that that's not possible. No. And so it is not about living a flawless or mistake-free life, but it is about being able to use those mistakes and hurdles and obstacles as stepping stones instead of stumbling blocks. And that's all in your perspective. You can send two people through the exact same situation, and one of them will come out better while the other comes out bitter. And it has nothing to do with the situation. and has everything to do with your perspective. Mm. Uh, And that's that's a big one for people.
1: Yeah. Well, and you can see, is this... So the lack of identity, the lack of understanding your significance or your purpose, or having a perspective that's a little warped, is that what leads to people that self-sabotage, people that don't try, that give up too early?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. The recipe... Uh, for a number of individuals that have uh, not fulfilled their purpose, that have self-sabotaged, that have not reached their dreams and their goals, is all the same, regardless of whether they are a celebrity or whether they are a stay-at-home mom. What they do in terms of their station of life doesn't matter. The recipe uh, for that self-sabotage and those stumbling blocks are the same, and it's a lack of understanding who they are it's a lack of having a great sense of significance and it is not having the right perspective through which they look at the challenges that they've had to endure.
1: It's not your position then, right? I mean, because you could be I could see a, a woman that's raising her family, a housewife that that can feel like she knows her identity, she has a purpose, her perspective, and, and it creates a sense of power in her. I could also see someone in the same position. Um, and, they're, and they feel like they're not amounting to anything, they're not contributing. So I, I guess it doesn't matter your role. It matters really your, how you're oriented.
3: Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the biggest things that I want people to understand about the I-Factor message, and I do my best in the book to really uh, make it clear because, obviously, I talk about celebrities that have suffered because of I-Factor issues, but then also tell a number of stories. Uh, of regular everyday people who've also had the same struggles, because you're right, it has nothing to do with your position. And I, I want people to understand that because the way that the world is set up is that the world informs us to really focus on our outside. And so so many people go through life and they think that the measure of success has everything to do with their external position or their external station in life. Uh, but what I want people to understand is that you could have the best of position or you could have a fulfilling position. But your ability to navigate through it successfully has nothing to do with how much money you have. It has nothing to do with the external factors that a lot of people in the world uh, focus on. It has everything to do with those internal dynamics. One of the stories that I'm most proud of and that I love to share when I talk about this I-Factor message is the story of the Titanic because I think that the Titanic story is a great picture and antidote for how people um, approach life. You know, many of us know the Titanic. It was that majestic ship. It was decked out with uh, all of the finest luxuries that its travelers could have wanted at that time. It was a marvel marvelous shipbuilding of that day. It was called unsinkable. But we know that the Titanic did sink because it hit an iceberg. And I did a lot of research on that iceberg, and it was about 600 feet long. But 500 feet of it was beneath the surface. Mm. So what I want people to understand is that what sunk the Titanic is not the little piece of the iceberg that they saw above the water it was the enormity of the iceberg that they couldn't see beneath the water and that's the same thing that sinks us in our own lives so many people, Matt, go through life like the Titanic we focus only on the external but what ends up sinking and sabotaging our life are those underneath the surface uh, kind of unknown internal I factor dynamics that a lot of times we don't focus on and those are the things that determine whether we sink or swell through life. And so that's why the I factor message is so important for children, for parents, for corporate CEOs, for college students, Uh, any walk of life where you find yourself, this I factor message is a a necessary message.
1: Yeah. And I can see um, it's necessary. And then I can almost hear as you're telling people that the solution is in you, as is the problem in you, Um, it's, I could see them, you know, revolting and being frustrated and saying, "Don't blame this problem on me. Let's uh, let's come back and talk about that." We're speaking with Van Moody, who is uh, he's a great inspiration. If you go to his website vanmoody.org, um, you can get more information about the iFactor book and a lot of his other resources, vanmoody.org. Um wonderful uh, gifted speaker helping us try to uncover how we contribute to a lot of our successes in life and how we can bring even more success out with the i factor we'll take a break we'll be right back stick with us folks this is the matt townsend show
2: talked about this idea of the i factor and it's about how you view and respect yourself but van says it goes beyond self-esteem it's really about building a relationship with yourself in the second portion van gives matt advice on what to tell people who constantly make excuses for themselves and tells us how we can learn the who of our existence before we learn the why
1: you go to his website, vanmoody.org, you can get all the information about his other books, everything he's doing. Uh, Van, thank you so much for being with us.
3: Oh, man, it's a joy to
1: be with you. You're a busy man, and a really, I think, special mission here that you're sharing with congregations all over, uh, really, the world, and and readers all over the world. What do you say to the person who's already lacking probably some I-factor, um, and then you, you're telling them, hey, it's in you, man, it's in you. I'm assuming you get some pushback. Like, don't blame me for my life. I had no parents at home, or I was raised in the inner city or whatever. What do you What do you say? Sure. One of the most important
3: things that I want them to understand is that me calling attention to this issue of the eye factor is not for blame, but it's for growth. And so you yeah. cannot conquer anything that you won't confront. And so when individuals say, well, you know, it's my my upbringing, and uh, it's the lack of things and access that I had, I want to challenge people to move beyond uh, blaming, I want them to move beyond excusing, and let's confront it, uh, and then let's confront it so that we can conquer it. The other thing that I want them to understand is that this message of the I Factor and calling people to go inside first before they focus on the external is not an excuse to live a self-absorbed, selfish life. There are a lot of people who say, well, you know what? That's great because I'm just going to you know, focus on me and do life on my own terms. And I say, no, wait a minute. The whole point of the I-Factor message is to make sure that we adequately move through the two greatest tasks in life. The first task is to find yourself. And then the second great task of life is to lose yourself. The challenge for a lot of individuals is that we like to jump to that second task of losing ourselves and making a difference in the lives of others in whatever capacity, you know, that we're called. If it's motherhood, if it's uh, an area that we serve in corporate America, if it's giving back. But you cannot do that effectively without first finding yourself. And that's what the I-Factor message is about, not about living a selfish, self-absorbed life, about making sure that first internally you're healthy so that externally you can make the difference. And let me tell you why this is so important, Matt, yeah. because we don't reproduce – what we say. We only reproduce who we are. Mm. And that's important for people because I've met with a lot of frustrated individuals who say, you know, I'm telling my family that this is the way I want things to be or I'm trying to tell my employees that this is the way the company needs to run and it's not happening. And it's because the biggest message is you don't reproduce what you say. You only reproduce who you are. And so real lasting change." Is only going to come from the inside out, and so if we can get healthy internally, then it affects everybody that we do life with and that we're connected to. Yeah,
1: that is powerful. Is it? Uh, how much of this comes from your influence uh, as a pastor in and using the Bible? Well, it definitely comes. from I mean, because you're you're basically describing the law of the harvest, right? You reap what you sow. Absolutely. Yeah, that's beautiful. Absolutely.
3: Well. You know, it's the law of the harvest, but it also is modeled by Jesus Christ. Yeah. When you think about all of the encounters that Jesus had with people, one of my favorite is when he goes to the house of Peter early on, after uh, Peter kind of joins the group as a disciple. He goes to Peter's house, and Peter's mother is sick. And Mm. Jesus kills her, and then she turns right around and begins to serve them. And you see that pattern. You see it with the demon-possessed man. You see it over and over and over again. Well, first the healing is internal, and then it flows into the external relationships that we have with others. And so that is that paradigm. I really believe that God wants people to get healthy internally first uh, because we are the common denominator in any and every relationship, in any and every encounter. And if we can be healthy first, then it does normally and naturally flow outward. Yeah. And that how we're going to change the world for the better and impact lives in a great way.
1: In fact, there, there's a quote uh, somewhere... Uh, the world tries to take the people out of the slums. God tries to take the slums out of the people. That's that inside-out approach you're talking about.
3: Absolutely. And without the slums or the struggles or the challenges being healed first first internally, we'll take that wherever we go.
1: Mm. That's such a great uh, message, and especially... um, this time of year, too, this time of season, and, and a lot of people are going to have maybe a week or two off, maybe a few days to think. Um, what would you suggest if, if, are some of the things we can do today uh, to, to make sure we, we take hold of? I mean, go, go buy the book, The I Factor. What else can we do to get into our own identity, significance, and perspective?
3: Sure. Well, obviously, you said it best. Go get the book. You know, um, But then the other thing is, if they go to ifactorbook.com, there is a free assessment uh, that is really fun, um, not as intense as a Myers-Briggs or a DISC Profile, but very similar in that they can take it in about five to seven minutes. It's absolutely free. And that will give people a, a great marker of where they are right, right now on the I-Factor journey. And then, you know, once they get the book, uh, there are simple steps and lessons that I give them that over the holidays people can begin to walk through as they begin the year, or just you know regular time as they are doing life and have a little bit of time to read or if they read before bed, wherever they find themselves with the book, they can begin to take those simple steps. And one of the most important steps is to realize that their who is not their do. Uh, and that is really the first step to discovering your real identity. A lot of people get the, the why question, right, which is your purpose, which is, you know, why on earth am I here? I want to I live my best life, and I want to do it according to my purpose. But before you can answer the why question, you first got to answer the who question. And I talk about the importance of peeling the onion, because a lot of people, Matt, think that their identity is based on what they do. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case. And so the first step is to understand that your who is not your do. And in the book, I give simple steps to really get to the core of who you really are And everything flows
0: from there.
1: Oh, I love it. Beautiful stuff.
2: I really like what Van just said there, that there are two great tasks in life, finding ourselves and losing ourselves. Wise words. Well, we have more wise words coming up. This next segment is another really interesting one. It made me think of when I was little. And growing up, we didn't have a lot. But then again, we had everything All my sisters and I needed was a kitchen chair and some old sandals that we flipped upside down to be gas pedals. And suddenly, we were driving a brand new car. And I remember thinking I could make anything into a game. So at church, I would pretend old pen caps I found on the ground were little horses and I'd make them neigh at each other. But you know, even thinking back on it, we didn't even need those chairs or sandals or pen caps to have fun. We would go out on the tramp with nothing around us and just create entire worlds out of thin air. I don't even remember really why or how that imaginative play stopped, but I do know that all the things I made up in my mind with my siblings influenced my writings and my art projects and my creativity even through college. So it's no wonder that Matt had an entire discussion about how playing pretend is a vital part of child development. Take a listen to this interview with Sandra Russ as he talks about what's really going on in kids' brains when they're playing pretend. Right after this break.
1: Welcome back, friends. You know, have you ever stood in the doorway and just watched your child play out a story? You know, whether they're playing with puppets or Barbies or action figures, it can be quite entertaining. But kids don't just play pretend to keep their minds off of adult things. It's actually a vital part of their development, and watching your kids play can give you a lot of insight into how your child's mind is actually working. Dr. Sandra Russ is a professor at uh, Louis D. Beaumont University in the Department of Psychological Sciences, joins us today from Ohio to teach us some important and imaginative ideas about how uh, our play may be impacting our child's creativity. Dr. Sandra Russ, thank you for being with us.
0: Hi, nice to be here. And is, I should add that yeah. I'm at Case Western Reserve University. Oh,
1: are you at Case Western now? Ohio, yeah. Okay. Cleveland, great. Ohio. That's great. Okay. Case Western uh, Reserve. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about your study, as sure. I, because we we all have different, you know, uh, ages of kids. My kids are in the teens. Um, my youngest is 11, okay. um, and uh, my oldest is 23. But some of the other folks around here have two-year-olds, four-year-olds. Talk, <laughs> talk about play. Um, we watch okay. these kids play, their imagination. You can see it firing. What, what's going on to them developmentally as they're just on the floor playing?
0: So what they're really doing starting at about two, two and a half is making things up, right? They're, they're using their imagination. They're, they're making up stories. They're using objects to be different things. So using a block to be uh, a building or a telephone. I mean, that's really beginning to use symbolism to, Hmm. to treat something as if it's something else. So they're, they're, learning to tell a story they're learning to have things pretend to be other things and they're they're role-playing as well so they're taking on the views of other characters Uh, so they're really doing a lot at this age and developing their imagination and learning to make things up from scratch which is so important yeah. And later creativity
1: so so they're really this is where they learn to to kind of take the place of others see see um the world from another frame of reference or another exactly. view
0: exactly that's and, powerful and also they're they're just th- the joy of making things up and and making things. I mean, if you really watch children play, most children really enjoy it, right I mean right. They're engaged and um, having fun. And in that sense, I mean, it's really interesting. I think children are wired in some ways to play because kids in every society do it, all cultures, but also it's self-reinforcing. It feels good, and so they want to play more because it's a, a positive mood that that they're experiencing and that they're engaged in. So just that joy of you know making things up by themselves can carry over also.
1: So the joy is creativity. The joy exactly. is this this essence of being a kind of a creator in their world. I guess it gives them power.
0: Right? And and right.
1: and then they can I mean they can also jump around and probably I guess learn where wherever they're ready to learn.
0: That's right. And the the idea of jumping around, I mean, their whole body is in it, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's all of them. So play really does involve the whole child. And for young kids especially that, you know, motor development and and action is also involved in 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 brain development as well. And so I think what is happening, although we don't have any evidence for it really yet, is that um, neurologically, play is helping them. It's helping develop cognitive flexibility and areas of the brain important in creativity. But we don't know that yet hmm. because we haven't really looked.
1: Yeah, I guess we're just probably just barely understanding the beginning of what's happening here.
0: That's that's right, in in the brain, yeah. exactly. But we do know from lots of studies that children who engage in play and use their imagination in play are more creative in other on other tasks. Mm. And that's really important because you know, if we can see a child with good imagination in play, they probably are imaginative and creative in telling stories and in generating ideas on other on other tasks. So we can see that in play.
1: Is it also talk about what's happening to their emotional development? Maybe some of that is the neurological or the cognitive flexibility you were talking about. What's happening to them as they engage emotion into the play?
0: So that's a really important question because um, children are expressing a lot of emotion in play. And if you just watch them, I mean, they're, they're, they're having, they're making up stories about having fun or they're making up sad stories or they're making up stories about being chased by monsters and they're in some ways acting out their fears and concerns and learning how to deal with it. So play is helping them process emotions. Hmm. Therapists have used play for years to help children deal with difficult stresses in their lives, and, and children naturally do this. They, they play things out. If they're worried about going to the doctor or having to go into the hospital, often they play it out hmm. and play doctor and play yeah. um, being in the hospital. I mean, they're they're trying to learn to deal with the negative things in their lives, as well as um, you know having having fun in the play. Mm-hmm. But I think play is helping kids process emotions and get comfortable with emotions. Boy, yeah, get comfortable with. Thinking about um, emotional issues.
1: And I guess even practice it, right? I mean, they're practicing the emotion. Because pra- exactly. if they're role playing, you know, oh, no way, the doggie died. Right, um, right, they, right. They're feeling the emotion. They go through even a, a process of acting it out.
0: Right, they right, and and so it's kind of simulated <laughs> emotion, yeah, right. Um, yes, and and so practice is really an important word in thinking about play, because children are practicing um, uh, emotional issues, or you know, kind of um, having different ideas about things, uh, different ideas about people. Practice is, is really what's going on. So they're not wasting their time. Right. You know, this is a really important uh, message, I think, for parents and teachers. Kids are not wasting their time when they're playing. They're really doing something that's important in child development. They're learning. We need to let them do it.
1: Yeah. Do, um, do I mean, I guess, too, there's probably a correlation to they're becoming more empathic
0: Yes, uh, we have done some studies that have shown, that have found that kids who express, uh, who are more imaginative, also score higher on empathy measures, or are more pro-social in mm. the classroom. So we do have some studies that show that um, it, it gets into theory of mind issues. But yes, they can take the perspective of the other, and and. And can understand the other hmm. better.
1: Is there yeah. is, is there a certain age um, where they they kind of grow out of playing? and Or is there a certain range of, of years that you're, you're more likely to see them doing some of this role-playing until they move out of role-playing and move into something else?
0: Right. About three to eight. Three years of age to eight or nine. It depends on the child. And then... Uh, this kind of active play in childhood changes, and it it evolves, Piaget thought and others thought, into more fantasy, internal fantasy. Hmm. And so the 11- the and 12-year-old is just not playing the same way that mm-hmm. they did at seven. I mean, then other things take over, right? Sports and board games and and other kinds of play, but not pretend play. But it can develop into uh, writing stories or art or other more creative activities for the 12, 13,
1: Hmm. 14-year-old. In fact, um, I I remember getting to that age where it wasn't part of me still would have wanted to be playing with my toys, Ah, and part of me knew it's time to probably move on, because others don't like that.
0: That's right. That is right. Mm. Although.
1: That's right. That's kind of sad, isn't it?
0: Yes, it is sad. It is sad, but development developmentally, it is what happens, and it's natural. And and uh, yes,
1: that's great. Um, is there as as we as we get into this? Well, let's maybe mm-hmm. take a break when we come back. I sure. really want to have you teach us what we can do as parents because it seems like there's a lot we could do to participate and to even heighten some of the imagination and the opportunity for storytelling. We're going to continue uh, giving you some tools, parents, out there. From Dr. Sandra Russ from Case Western University, a great uh, scholar in the field of your children's play, their creativity, and storytelling. Powerful, powerful parenting skills. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
2: talked about how playing pretend and role play teaches kids vital developmental skills like symbolism, resourcefulness, creativity, power, and even helps them learn how to work out their concerns and fears. So let's get back to the rest of that interview where she talks about how parents can get involved in their children's play.
1: Talk about, um, I mean, it's a, this, is, this is your child going through these stages in, of development, but you're also, you get to witness how they see the world their fears, their concerns, their personality. Isn't that what's coming out in play?
0: It is. It is. And their imagination. Yeah. And it's really important. I, I think it depends on the child's age as to how the parent is involved. So for young children, two, three, four, those children really want you to play with them. Right. So it's important for parents to sit down with them or sit down on the floor or wherever they are and really engage with them. In, in their play, be in the tea party, you know, help, help, help them make dinner on their play stove. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's important, too, that, that the parent, you follow their lead, so you don't take over the yeah. story. Don't
1: follow tell them it. how to set the table.
0: Exactly, exactly. Or that, you know, that soup has to be at, you know, really <laughs> hot. I mean, you know, right. follow their lead. Um, for older kids five, six, seven, they kind of want to be on their own more. And so don't intrude. Yeah. You know, Just kind of give, but as long as they have the time and the space, they need a space uh, where they can also play and toys.
1: Yes, and, and I guess get them the appropriate toys as well, Absolutely. right?
0: Absolutely, right. I mean, unstructured, uh, blocks are great, clay, Play-Doh, mm. action figures, dolls, I mean, things that Need a story, yes, that need a story that don't tell them how to do the story
1: um, what do you think about what's happening with technology and some of these other things that might be delivering the story
0: so I think um, as some of that's okay, yeah. you know, but uh, as long as there's an it, Ideally, the child would be able to participate actively in making up the story, that they wouldn't just be following along, so that their mind is active and mm. engaged. So I, that's one thing I would be looking for uh, as a parent, um, is the video game, is there room for the child to really make things up as well? Um, we, we did a study uh, where we looked at children's play going back from the mid from about. 1980 uh, 1983 or so to 2008 so we had about a about a 20 year period and we had different play samples from children over this period of time and we' pretend play you know working with puppets and blocks and yeah. and we we found actually an increase in imagination over that period of time and hmm. uh, and so their play was not getting worse. We, we wondered about that given computers and video and video games technology, but it did not get worse. In fact, the imagination got a little better. Wow. So I think that's an important message also, you know, for our culture. Uh, all of this technology is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, it can be helping in a lot of ways. But for the parent of a young child, I'd, I'd want to make sure the child had Enough playtime with just normal toys as yeah. well, yeah. and also that the technology would leave room for them to to make up
1: stories. Do ch- do children? Uh, if you put uh, two children in a room, maybe mm-hmm. three or four year olds, um, mm-hmm. and gave them enough, you know, like little fake kitchens or you yeah. know ch- child kitchens or whatever, would they yeah. would they naturally would do all children naturally start to play? Or are no. some just more reticent, not interested?
0: It's so, some, are, uh, some children have trouble using their imagination. So, you know, if you're talking about a group like that, maybe some kids are just shy. They have a good imagination, but they can't let it out with, with other kids who mm-hmm. maybe have stronger personalities. So that's one thing. But there are children who just have trouble using their imagination. And we have been working to develop uh, programs to help these children develop more imagination. And we have found in a couple of studies that with a little bit of play guidance, uh, they can improve their imagination on other, on other tasks. And what we, what we find most helpful and in, in, when we play with these children is that if we model pretending, hmm. if we... If we take the the Lego and have it make it into a milk bottle because the you know the bear needs milk, if we model like that, the child catches on and they're able i mean it is kind of like teaching them uh to pretend yeah, but yeah. modeling modeling is really helpful, and that's something that parents and teachers can easily do with children who might have trouble uh using their imagination.
1: Mm. And because you could see that they might be able to, you know, function in society, be healthy in society, but yes. the, if they lack some imagination and some creativity, yes. it might impact their coping down the road. It might impact exactly. relationships, social skills.
0: Exactly. And and we do know that children who use their imagination better are able to cope better uh, with life's because they can think of more things to do mm, yeah. when, when tough things happen. So, um, so, yes, it is to the – I mean, I see play as a huge resource for children, and it's like giving them another tool. Yeah, I love it. Help them. Uh, and so I, we haven't talked about schools.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are schools uh, helping in this? Are they well, hurting
0: well, you know, playtime is being eliminated, right. recess is being eliminated, and I, the teachers I talk to are really upset about that, and they know that play is important for young children, and yet it gets squeezed out. So we need to get play back into the preschools and into kindergarten, and even time for play in early elementary grades. Mm. Yeah, I mean,
1: recess, but, but two, yeah. I guess, you, because to me, um, play for children is learning. It's developmental, so it you could it include is. it in as, a, as, a, as one of the
0: classes we're going to work Ab- on. Absolutely, and there's a whole, you know, literature out there on, on play-based learning uh, for the classroom, which is a little different than what I've been talking about, but that, you know, yeah. using play to teach things because it's so natural for kids, and it's how they learn, and they take to it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. What's what's one thing that parents can do, maybe even this weekend with our kids that that, you know, these younger children, I guess, that that could make a difference in their play? Uh,
0: Play with them, bring out some boxes and Legos or blocks and and have them make something and make up a story
1: Mm. and ask them, make up the story and
0: make up a story. And if they can't get started. Say to them, "Well, let's make a story about going to a birthday party. Yeah. I'll be Joe, you be Mary.
1: <laughs> That's great,
0: and, and get it started.
1: Right and easy, right?
0: And easy, yes. And it doesn't take a lot of time.
1: And you'll you'll learn a lot about your kids.
0: Absolutely, and the, and it'll it'll help your relationship.
1: And if there's a teenager in the back seat, tell them to be quiet.
0: Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> they can help. <laughs>
1: they're going to make fun of your other kids.
2: Yeah, tell them that they did it when they were little.
1: That's right. Well, we appreciate you. Dr. Sandra Russ, thank you for your great work.
2: Those were two incredible interviews. I hope that brightened your day. Some of my favorite things from today were when Van said, you can't conquer what you won't confront. And when Sandra and Matt talked about how kids are these tiny people in a big world, but imaginative play gives kids power in a little world they create on their own. Great teaching. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back tomorrow with more Matt Townsend.